Welcome to another episode of the SAE Memorandum's Ask a Chair podcast series. My name is Hamza Ajaz, and I'll be your host today. And I have the pleasure of introducing Dr. Jim Adams, who is the Department Chair of Emergency Medicine at Northwestern University. Thanks for joining us. Glad to be here. So we're going to start off with the heavy hitting questions in the beginning. We're going to start off with the workforce report. What is your interpretation of the 2020 workforce report that predicted that it would be about 7,000 surplus of physicians by 2030? Yeah, so start off with a heavy hit. <laughs> the, I think it's a necessary report, a very, very important report, but no report is the whole truth and the end of the conversation. What we see already is that there are plenty of jobs, and I would predict many more jobs in the future. So no worry for well-trained emergency medicine graduates. However, we do have to be sensitive because there's a lot of programs out there. Yeah, so let's talk about that, right? Like there's an increasing number of residencies that are propping up around the country. You have both academic institutions that are expanding their current pool of residents. You also then have you know, private equity starting residencies as well. I suspect that probably played a role to some extent in terms of the recent match results of over 500 spots that were unfilled in residencies. I was wondering if you could talk a little bit more about that. The match results are a great concern. It wasn't just this one year. The year prior, there was a decrease. So we've seen this huge drop in the number of applicants to emergency medicine. And it still remains, in my estimation, a fabulous job, a unique job. And a place, especially where I think you get the broadest and best skill set. But this drop of students, it's way easier to to drop than to revive. And we need to get on it quick. I don't know. The workforce report was only part of it. I think to a large degree that students showed up, saw all the inpatient, the boarding, the holding, the psych, the drugs, and said, is this the job I want to sign up for? And I think it was always been a tough job. But I think the nature of the work, the compensation for the work is good, but you can go into something else and make as much or more. And the workforce report was a perfect storm. And I don't think that we have cut through to see the light at the end of the storm. Yeah, and, th- and that's the scary thing, right? Like, we are at a cheers meeting right now. This is where the future of academic emergency medicine is decided and talked about. So what can we do as a, you know, as the academic chairs of emergency medicine to get ahead of this, you know, we're, we're not looking at this conversation next year and have a thousand students or a thousand unfilled spots, you know? So what can we do to get ahead of this problem? So I think there's a couple of things. Individually at Northwestern, that what we're seeing is the graduates getting wonderful jobs and well-run hospitals and great groups and good compensation and having a thriving career and ascending into leadership if that's what they want or ascending into academic if that's what they want. So I do think that we need to point to the people who are graduating, who are early in the workforce, and having them in conversation with students. I think that's very, very helpful. I'm far enough in my career that the students look at me with what I say is a little bit of uncertainty. But the recent grads, I think, carry a lot of influence, number one. Number two, I think that we have to have a plan for the specialty. It is a difficult time. Some of the, some of the difficulties are temporary. Some, like mental health and problems of patients with substance abuse disorders, are a huge challenge. Emergency medicine is at its best when it's stepping up, identifying problems, and leading solutions. And I don't see anybody else leading solutions for the mental health. I don't see anybody else leading solutions for substance abuse disorders. We have to chart a course where we're leading or we're not happy. And I think that we have a very optimistic future, but we have to step in and this is where I think we need to be much more assertive. 
Yeah, and, and see, you know, depending on where you go across the country, you already have recognized leaders within emergency medicine who are trying to carve a course in those particular niches. And the goal is how do we continue to broaden that across the specialty across the country and find out alternative ways as well that we can do that in the other untapped markets that emergency medicine hasn't quite realized as well. So I agree, those, those are some of the challenges I, I agree there. And this is what we have to coalesce as a national conversation. And then the students will come back to us with some optimism and enthusiasm. But these can't be just local one-off solutions. They have to be part of our national agenda. Yeah. And, and the question is, you know, that's why we're having this as well on a, on a national platform here is having this conversation to then subsequently have, as you were mentioning, the junior faculty, the, the recent graduates, serve as those mentors to the students who are M1s, 2s, M3s, and 4s so that they can apply. They can have that right level of informed uh, decision-making when they come to whether emergency medicine is a right fit or right match for them. So I, I, I agree with that sentiment where it has to be the junior or recent graduates that go about providing that level of insight and reassurance that, hey, this specialty, the mission for what the specialty is still holds true, even though it might be a little bit different from a few years ago prior to the pandemic. In terms of now talking a little bit more about the students, in terms of, let's say that you're talking to a student who is contemplating emergency medicine, and you've alluded to a little bit of this conversation already, but what would you tell them in terms of what emergency medicine is today when they're contemplating whether they should or shouldn't apply to EM? So first, it's a great specialty and a lot of interesting, challenging cases, a lot of great skills and insights that you really can't get anywhere else in any other way. So some people are made for emergency medicine and they, they, and they need to do it. So I have no hesitation. I think that we, what we see is there is a lot of students who are on the bubble. Should I do emergency medicine or anesthesia? Well, there's a lot of similarities, but there's a lot of differences. The pace and the style of anesthesia is completely different than emergency medicine. So I, I do think that the student has to be very self-reflective and know what, what's going to make them happy. And if emergency medicine's it, it's it, and they will thrive. So I think it's much more about understanding how the student is going to thrive in their, in their future long-term career. At the same time in emergency medicine and community practice year after year after year after year, the reality is that every emergency physician is going to need something to add some dimension to their career. Some really just want to practice in a community hospital, but most like the variety and are going to have extra dimension. And so this is part of, I think, what we're talking about. We've seen our community docs move over, become addiction specialists, and one is one of our community ED medical directors is now a full-time addiction medicine person. Others are doing a part-time. Many physicians are doing palliative care. That's nothing new. But these dimensions of care or, or practice, I think, need to be available at any point in the career. We've had mid-career community emergency physicians now doing fellowships. So I think it's wonderful, but I think that should be part of a planned evolution rather than a get me to a point of burnout and then start searching. It should, should not happen that way. We just need to be better about longitudinal career planning across the course of an entire career community or academic. Yeah, that's, that's very well said in terms of you just have to be more proactive as opposed to reactionary in terms of both career planning as well as burnout. Now, talking about burnout, you're the chair of a very busy department, emergency department. You're also a CMO as well. Now, how do you go about managing your wellness in terms of both on shift and then off shift from your administrative responsibilities, your clinical responsibilities? So I think I have the best position ever. And it is wholly attributable to I have a fantastic team on all fronts. And I have a 
absolutely A-plus group of emergency physicians at Northwestern who are both young and mature in their career, great vice chairs and medical directors, great vice chairs and medical directors. And through all the turmoil and the stresses and strains, we recognize the reality. But nobody gets self-absorbed into whining and complaining. We're always problem-solving. So that's very helpful. 60 residents, 15 across four years, who are to a person fabulous. They're completely different personalities, of course, but really hardworking, positive, really, very, really good. And so it's incredibly rejuvenating to me to look at the, the people, the residents, the attendees, with respect and admiration and really care for them. And so how nice is it for me to show up in an apartment with substantial challenges but like and admire the people that I'm working with and confronting those challenges every day. And then similarly on the chief medical officer side, I have nine chief medical officers, some vice presidents reporting to me, GME research, some, um, reporting to me across from the health system. And then underneath that, associate CMOs and medical directors who are just fabulous people, supremely talented, hard in the right place, ethical, don't shy away from hard problems, confront the hard problems, but again, people that I show up every day and like to work with. And so I am just enormously grateful that I can do that, but it makes it much easier so that we can give and take for each other, have plans, implement the plans. And so that's the only way that I sustain, and I do take the time that I need for myself to rejuvenate. But I do think the first lesson of this world is to have jobs where when you show up every day, you're on the same team, you like the people that you're working with, and then you can confront the challenges. I'm fortunate to have it. Yeah, what I'm hearing a lot that you echoed there was people, right? It's a lot of, you mentioned both in the CMO role as well as the chair role, is yep. the people you're surrounded by. It, it can be hard to, you know, in emergency medicine, when you're practicing clinically in the ED, you don't necessarily get a chance to control who your nurses are, who your right. residents are, right. who your techs are, or your, your staff, that you know, right. who your team is going to be. But as a leader, as someone who's responsible for setting that culture, setting what kind of people you hire and bring in, how do you go about creating that culture of wellness or creating that right positive culture so that it makes your job easier? Yeah, so I'll answer in a couple levels. One thing that I am so happy about is that Northwestern, when we're in residency recruitment season, especially now that it's virtual, works very hard to project who we are. And then I wanted to be on the student to make the choice of whether they're going to fit with the culture or not. And I want huge diversity and variety, but we want people who are more givers than takers, more generous. We don't really deal well with narcissists and sociopaths. And so I can't virtually discern who that who those people are. But when we project ourselves as kind of a generous and team-oriented and expect people as senior residents be teaching and supporting their subordinate in a very positive and healthy way, it tends to have the Machiavellian and narcissistic people go elsewhere because they can't really hide in it, so it won't be the program for them. So we want really to project that, that super hard, and we've been successful, and I, that's why I'm so happy. So, so I do think it's about projecting the values you want, both to the students, but then even me in the emergency department, I mean, I'll wander in as the nurse is getting the patient set up, the patients inevitably see some difficulty on their face with the nurse, but I'll reassure the patient that they've got great nurses. And this is the nurse that I would want to have put an IV in. <laughs> so I know nobody likes the IV, but this is a... To have a nurse be validated by a physician that this is a great nurse and that, oh yeah, let me get out of the way now because the nurse has to do, is the one doing the hard work. 
that those little moments of validation cost nothing and mean everything. And so the nurses have a hard job, but us just being honest about these observations and then rejuvenate them. And it's a little harder for the nurses when I have every expectation to admire them and every expectation to recognize and respect them. And we never have as much conversation. Oddly, the nurses find just me explaining what I'm thinking about to the patient as a gesture of respect. But what happens is it equips the nurse to work very, very hard. So if a, if a physician is not finding that the, their team is working very hard, they're just not communicating as a leader. And so this is what I'm training to junior residents or attendees. But it turns out this, this, uh, this is a very positive ecosystem, a very positive environment. Same with the hospitalists as the chief medical officer across all the specialties. I'm creating relationships. I'm creating positive conversation so that we then don't feel the problem is each other. The problem's outside of us and confronted together. It's a cultural thing that I build, but then I build friends and colleagues across the entirety of this huge 5,800 physician organization. And the physicians who are working very hard and very negative, we can understand the challenges that they have, but then I can be part of the solution. So I think that's the tone. But if we get critical mass of attendings and residents with that tone, it helps sustain the techs and nurses in a very positive Yeah, that's very well said. I like the point you make about supporting the nurse in that role and say that, hey, that is the nurse that I will want placed in that IV or like ensure the trust in the nurse will allow them to do a better job and can build that culture as you're appropriately mentioning. So I'm going to try that on my next shift and then my next shift as well. <laughs> yeah, it's surprising. They'll, you'll see them, their body move a little bit when you say a nice thing. They're just not used to getting these compliments. Yeah. But it's not, it's not palliating compliments. It's, it has to be sincere. Yeah. But those little gestures mean a lot. The nurses just don't get enough of that yeah. in the moment. Yeah, we have a hard job, but theirs is a very hard job as well. And it's been right. particularly difficult in the last few years. So anything we can do to support our other colleagues uh, who work in the same And it's easier for fighting to fight together. Exactly. It's not us fighting against each other. Right. It's us trying to you look yes. at outside and be on the same team. Yes. Most definitely. And you mentioned a little bit about friendships that you build across the healthcare system. I want to spend, take a little spin on that and talk about mentorship. And say, you know, let's talk about what mentorship has or how has mentorship played a role in your career or through your various leadership roles? Yeah, so the one thing that as I just got this certificate from ABEM because it's been 30 years since I got board certified. <laughs> so I'm like, oh my God, I don't feel that old. But the one thing 30 years after board certification is that I have gotten much more skilled at listening. Still talk too much, but... I'm also a much, much better listener. And so for physicians or people to be heard is a great gift. But for me to have the ability to hear others at any age, the residents, the most senior, the mid-level people, to be able to hear, I always learn something. I always learn something from them. So the mentorship, we think, is some big, grand thing. But sometimes the best mentors are... People I've talked to just very few times, but I listen deeply and they have something to say that in my moment is pretty profound. And and so that just authentic listening, I've just gotten better at it. And I found that I am now a much better protege, a much better person to find mentors, but those mentors are not always senior. So I think it's it's the willingness to listen. And especially if you're just starting out, 
the senior people, especially in medicine, they're, we're helpers, we were nurturers, we want to, and so somebody who will just take a moment and listen is real, it's a real gift to the speaker, and especially if that speaker is older, um, they will really feel good if they feel that they have given a message. So I would just take the moment in a conversation to listen, and that can build into relationship then especially where you have now one more conversation after the other. But, but sometimes people have just, one conversation has been a, a profound impact on me. So that would be my story about mentorship. Don't take it as a big bite or an overly grand exercise, but just take a time to listen. Emergency physicians, especially around the organization, if there's a senior executive or a nurse or an administrator or a person, or a housekeeper, take a moment to listen. They'll view that as as a gift, and you'll get a lot. Yeah, and I feel like once you feel like someone is listening, you you feel cared for. I think that goes directly to patient care as well. If you truly listen to what the patient's there for, you can weave through a lot of the nuances of why that patient's presentation. Mm-hmm. You might want to rule this out or that, but I think you know really truly getting to the root cause and listening to what the patient's there for yeah. can obviously help them feel cared for but also helps you eliminate a lot of what you might not consider as waste in terms of what you work up and don't work up as well. Yeah, if, if you're an emergency physician and you're not feeling thanked or appreciated, just pause because I think patients really do want to thank you and appreciate you. You're just not present to have that. Yeah. You're not open to that appreciation. So it's slowing down in, in that moment. But if you can't authentically listen to the patient, you'll start to see, sense a lot of the pains and traumas of their life changes it makes you a little more sympathetic but boy they value that because it's so rare that they'll that they'll feel understood it doesn't take any longer it really takes no longer it's much more efficient because then you're not on wild goose chases trying to solve things in wrong ways exactly yeah i couldn't agree more there in terms of now talk, we've talked a little bit about mentorship we've talked a little bit about leadership as well i want to pose this question what kind of leadership style do you like to embody or what do you feel like are some of the common traits of a great leader? We know with the, with the caveat that there's no one good leader. I'll just make a few reflections and observations because I don't think I can speak too grandly to that. And we talked a lot about that listening. It's incredibly powerful when physicians, let's say any human being, but physicians are listened to and boy, the stresses and strains are profound and people can shoulder a lot in healthcare, but they can't shoulder a lot and feel taken for granted. They can't shoulder it and feel exploited. So first that understanding. But the the next counterpart to it and what makes, I think, the leader is understanding where the people are, understanding where the organization needs to go, but then having some very good, strong management models so that we can understand the nature of the problem, what can and can't be fixed, get a plan to fix what, what can't, what's going to be material and meaningful to plan, execute well, all the people have accountability for executing and moving it forward and heading toward a goal. So if we can have all the soft stuff that I was talking about, but then the truly effective management skills so that we understand the problem, can move forward and implement a solution and get all the people who have to be in, in and moving toward that direction, that's the part. Because the listening is hard enough. 
but getting that plan executed is, is also hard. So there is some skills to be exercised there. The emergency department can bring those skills a bit because the emergency physicians tend to be, we tend to be doers and we tend to be really hard workers and we're, we're implementing. But the art of emergency medicine, especially in a busy place, is to have enough dialogue with the text nurses and others so that they're working harder than we're working. And, and I tell the fourth year residents that I'm like, if you're the hardest person working in the room, you're, right, you're doing it wrong. But you can't just tell people what to do and push people. It's in the dialogue. They understand the goal. They understand how they're going to contribute. They'll reassess patients. They'll bring back information. They'll be able to actually do quite a lot. So all of a sudden now we can run a room and keep it all organized when everybody's equipped with the information and the, and the goals and the worries and the concerns that, that you have. But if you're not communicating, you're not leading, and they're not equipped to work that, and then you're gonna, it's all going to be on you. So in that human-to-human conversation, but the clarity of goal, the kind of precision of what we need and what we don't want and what we're watching out for, pretty soon everybody's going to. And then you're given them the ability to be effective as caregivers themselves and leave the shift feeling like they were effective. And that's powerful when the nurses feel like they left and did a good job in nursing the patients because you helped give them information to be effective. Holy cow, like how dare you not? And it's just a conversation. It's just yeah. how you're thinking and how you're sizing up. But we don't put that into training nearly enough. But that's the lead, that's the art of leadership. Yeah, I mean that's very that's very powerful what you're saying, right? Like you can apply that both at the bedside, as you're mentioning, you know, setting that direction, setting the goals with your team, whether it's your junior residents, your students, your nurses, your techs about, hey, these are the marching orders in the sense that this is where we want to be with this patient, this is what we're looking for. And then that same thing that you provide at the bedside for clinical care, you can apply from a managing organization, yeah. managing department as well. This is what our true north is, is an academic emergency department. This is what we're hoping to accomplish. These are the people that we're out on the team to help us get there. And everyone has that, their true north, and this is where we want to be. This is the vision of the department. And we'll subsequently, hopefully, act in the manner that will get you all in that same direction. Yep. And then people, and here's what we're not going to worry about. And here's what we would like to worry about, but don't have the time to worry about. And so we're all aligned here. And then at the end of that, then at any time, they can feel effective. Now, all of a sudden, they're willing to come back another day and, and keep it going. But it's nice when people feel like they're effective in their jobs. And emergency medicine, it's hard to feel like that many days. And we've got to give that to each other. Exactly, yeah. Like If you feel like you belong, that you're making a difference, you're making an impact, with the different challenges we have in the clinical setting these days, if you are able to leave a shift or leave you know, a rotation feeling that, hey, I made an impact, I helped someone, or I felt like I belonged, I served a purpose here today, and that speaks volumes to what you've been able to accomplish as a leader for that shift alone. And it's true every day. What happens is we are pushing so hard and so fast through it, we're just not seeing that. And so just watching for that and seeing the patients in that different light enables successes where you think it's just routine care and we take it for granted. So just take a look, you should take a little bit less for granted. And I don't think slow it down in terms of time, but maybe slow it down in terms of mental processing so that we can make some of these observations. I couldn't agree more. Thank you so much, Dr. Adams, for your time today. This has been a great conversation. I really appreciate it. Pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. Most definitely. Thank you.